Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. I want to continue this morning uh, in the series, Our Sword and Our Shield. We're talking about why the Bible is so important in our lives. Uh, You know, down through the years... I've heard people say, you know, I just, I read the Bible, I don't get anything out of it. Uh, It just, you know, I fall asleep, it's too boring. I just don't seem to get it, doesn't make any sense to me. I've heard all of these things. And maybe at some point, you have felt that way. Uh, If so, then you've picked a good Sunday uh, to be at church, because we're going to spend some time talking about how to let God make the Bible literally come alive in our life. This morning, we're going to look at how God illuminates his word to us. Uh, The the title of this sermon is Bringing Light to the Word. Bringing Light to the Word. How many of you would agree that brightness always increases clarity? Think about it. Brightness in the more light you have, the more you're able to see, right? Right? And this is true when it comes to God's Word. The more illuminated it becomes in our life, the more we're going to get out of it. So I want to spend a little bit of time talking about this word, illumination. What do we mean by God illuminates His Word to us? We're talking about how the Holy Spirit will reveal the meaning of His Word and even show us how to apply it in our lives as, as we read through it. Right before, right before Jesus ascended back into heaven, he said that the Holy Spirit was coming to live in us and live with us. And one of the Holy Spirit's very important jobs in our lives is to illuminate the Bible and help us see and understand things in God's Word that we would have otherwise missed. You know, you can own a whole house full of Bibles, but unless you have accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, which is what allows the Holy Spirit to work in us, then you're never going to get uh, or even come close to getting the full impact and the full message of, of that God has for us. It's like when you buy toys at Christmas for your kids or your grandkids, maybe yourself. How many of you guys, you're, you're my age, you're older, or near, and you still buy yourself toys for Christmas? They just get more expensive, don't they? Anyway, you buy the toy and you realize the toy needs batteries. You know, it, you didn't see, it says, usually it's stamped right on the box, batteries not included. I hated that when I was a kid. How about you? You get some new toy for Christmas, you're all ramped up, you know, you open it and find out it needs batteries and you're out of batteries. It's a letdown, right? I mean, it's still a toy, but you don't have the power to make it do what it's supposed to do. You see where we're going here. So let's look at a verse here that kind of backs this up. Ephesians 1.17. I ask the glorious Father and God of our Lord Jesus Christ to give you his spirit. The spirit will make you wise and let you understand what it means to know God. There's three really important words in that verse, or the three that really jump out, I think, are the three words 
let you understand. The Holy Spirit will make you wise, it says, and will let you understand what it means to know God. That's, that's kind of the power part of that verse. Those three words are like reading on a toy box, batteries included. It's a good thing. So here's my point. This book, the Bible that we're studying, that we're reading together in chronological order, this book is absolutely supernatural. It's not only God speaking to us, it's the only book in existence that where you can literally speak right to the author as you read it. That's illumination right there. As you read the Bible, say, Lord, just ask him, what, what does this mean? Because how many have you ever read a chapter or two and you get done maybe a paragraph and you, I don't have a clue what I just read. You know, Lord, illuminate this. What does this mean? How am I supposed to use this in life? How, it's, how is it going to make a difference in my life? And that is when you open up the door for the Holy Spirit to just kind of whisper in your ear, put a thought in your mind, and it's like the light switch comes on. And all of a sudden, you see and understand something that maybe you'd read 20 times before and never quite caught. That is illumination. Now, here's an interesting verse we want to look at, Ephesians 1, 18 through 19. It says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparable great power for us who believe. I want us to talk about that phrase as that verse starts, the eyes of your heart. You know, what, what is that? The eyes of your heart. When you were physically born, hopefully you were born with all five senses. Sight, hearing, taste, touch, smell. Everything you have ever learned in life has come through one or probably a combination of those five senses. If you don't have all five, you really miss out on a lot in life. I personally was born with all five. But for the last two months, two of them have been a little wonky. After COVID, you know, you know, I said, I feel great. I feel like, you know, everything's fine, except I taste, I feel like I taste about 30% of what I'm eating. That is a drag. I love to taste what I'm eating. Unless my wife is force feeding me like tuna casserole or spinach or broccoli or something, then I'm okay with the not tasting so well, you know. But when you're spiritually born, you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, and then you are, as the Bible says, you're spiritually born again, and God gives you this like second set of senses. He gives you spiritual ears to hear some things that maybe you never heard before, and he gives you spiritual eyes, and all of a sudden you begin to see things in life and see things about life that you never saw before. You even start to feel some things that you never felt before. These new spiritual senses, they're all kind of what make up the eyes of your heart, so to speak. With the Holy Spirit alive and living in you, you you're actually living in two worlds at the same time, right? You're living in the physical world, but now you're also living in the spiritual world. 
So we live in the physical world. We're able to see things with our natural eyes. But living in the spiritual world, we can't see supernatural things unless God opens up the eyes of our heart, right? One day, everything that we see around us is going to just crumble and disintegrate. Even this, this great building that we're privileged to gather in every week to hear more of God's Word, it is going to crumble into a big pile of dust, as is all of us. Some piles will be bigger than others. But it's going to happen to all of us, right? So once we realize that, you know, only, only God, his people, and his kingdom are going to last forever. Spiritual things are not last, are not going to last. The, the spiritual world was here before we were. It's going to be here. What did I say? Well, I'm having trouble this morning. Physical things don't last. The spiritual world is going to last. That's what I was trying to say. So we can edit that out of the tape, right? So once we realize that, that the spiritual world, it really becomes more real than this physical world. Because the physical world is not going to last. The spiritual world is going to last. So it's just that we can't see the spiritual world unless God opens our eyes to things that we wouldn't normally see. That's illumination. It's God's illumination that causes the light switch to come on when you know we've been reading the Bible. You'll be reading, and all of a sudden, it's just kind of you're like, bam, you know, wow, I've, I've never seen that. I never caught that before. But that's exactly what I needed today. It's kind of one of those aha moments. It's, it's an incredible feeling. Maybe you've never experienced that before in your life. Maybe when you've been reading the Bible, you get done, and it's just sort of like blah, 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 blah. Uh, there's a, a great Far Side cartoon that always one of my favorites. And it, and it shows the, it's entitled, What Dogs Hear? The guy is talking to his dog. Okay, Ginger, I've had it. You stay out of the garbage. Understand, Ginger? Stay out of the garbage. And here's what the dog heard. Blah, 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 Ginger. Blah, 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 Ginger. That's what the dog hears, even though we're reading it the riot act, Right? When the Holy Spirit starts to illuminate your mind, you begin to actually hear God speaking to you as you're reading through his word. So I want to spend the rest of our time this morning, I want to talk about what actually happens when God opens up our spiritual eyes. The first thing that happens when God opens up our spiritual eyes is we begin to see the problem that's facing us. I see the, we see the, and we see the solution to our problem. That's the first thing that happens. There's a great story in Genesis 21 that sheds some interesting light, I think, on this particular point. It's the story of Abraham, Sarah, Hagar, Isaac, Ishmael. You know it. We just got done reading through it. God promised Abraham that he was going to be the father of a great nation, as numerous as the stars, and, and that he was going to have a son. But at the ripe old age of 90, 
nothing had happened, right? Abraham and Sarah, they still don't have a son. Now, that's a problem right there. And, you know, Sarah says, you're not kidding, that's a problem. That's a big problem. So Sarah, the wife, she comes up with this plan B. She tells Abraham, look, I'm too old to have a child. And she gives him permission to sleep with the much younger maidservant, Hagar, and have a child. Every time I read this, I'm just curious. How many of you gals, you wives, would have ever in a hundred years come up with this plan? It's mind-boggling, isn't it? I always just wondered, I would pay a lot of money to just see the look on Abraham's face when she came up with this plan. This, this is a trap, right? I'm not supposed to say, yeah, that sounds good. Imagine, wouldn't you love to know how some of this stuff goes down that you read about in the Bible? I mean, you know, they were people just like we are. But anyway, we know what happened. Old Abe's got this child with Hagar, and it was Sarah's plan. It was not God's plan. So you know there's going to be some trouble. Ishmael is born, and Abraham, Abraham thanks God for this promised child, but God, I'm sure he, well, no, see, this isn't the one. But we know that later God does bring his plan to fruition and Sarah, even in her extreme old age, gives birth to Isaac. And now Sarah is incredibly jealous of Ishmael because that's not her real son, but he's probably going to get the inheritance because he's the older one. And so Sarah forces Hagar and Ishmael to leave and just wander off into the desert. Now, you have to realize telling them you're just going we're just sending you out into the desert that's basically a death sentence they weren't expect there's no they're not going to survive they don't have a lot of supplies they got you know maybe a little container of water that'll last till the sun goes down and then they're going to die out in the desert let me pick the story up here genesis 21:14 early the next morning abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to hagar he set them on her shoulders and, and sent them off with the boys. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. I'd say this is one of the great rejection stories in the Bible. In my mind, kind of second only to the Jewish people rejecting Jesus as the Messiah. This poor woman had been absolutely used in, in the most despicable way and then sent off into the desert with her son to die, basically. Abraham and Sarah, they knew that when they sent them off. But what they were doing, they were conveniently getting rid of a problem, weren't they? Does that ring any bells today? I think, this, there, I think there's a really significant parallel between this story and our modern-day issue of abortion. They had made a bad choice, and now they've got this problem. But they're going to solve the problem by making the innocent party pay for it. This is, we're talking about the same thing here, right? So is it any surprise that there's going to be some really big trouble coming out of this deal? So you get back to the story. Here's Hagar and Ishmael. They're out there in the desert, uh, and they are 
this far from death. The boy is about to die. The mom can't stand to watch it, so she's just going to walk away. That's how close they are to death at this point. And then in verse 19, we pick up, God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand. I will make him into a great nation. And so, as you know, they did survive. Ishmael does become the father of a great nation, the Arab nation. And now to this day, the Arab nation of Ishmael and the Israeli nation of Isaac are still killing each other every single day, fighting over who is the rightful heir. It continues to this day. But here's the part that, that I think really helps illuminate this principle that God shows us solutions to our problems. Verse 19 says, Then God opened her eyes. Did you catch that? Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. That's how they ultimately survived. Hagar apparently had the solution right within eyesight the whole time, but she didn't see it until she allowed God to open her eyes. Now, there's undoubtedly people, someone here today or watching online, and, and maybe you're going through a problem that seems absolutely insurmountable, and you just don't have, you don't see any possible solution. You need to know that the answer is right within your sight, but you have to allow God to open your eyes. You're never going to see the solution on your own. You need the Holy Spirit to guide you, to enlighten you, and he will absolutely do that, but you have to allow him to do that. Amen? Here's the second thing that will happen when we allow God to open our eyes. You'll see the roadblock that's in your way. When God opens our eyes, we not only see solutions to our problems, we see roadblocks that are in our way. Now, there's a fantastic story in Numbers 22 that, that sheds light on this principle. It's the story of a guy named Balaam. Balaam was a prophet of God. And I mean, he was a real man of God, but he wasn't perfect because he made a choice to take a trip and was going to lend some help to a king who wanted to destroy the Israelites. And I'm telling you, God got hacked off with Balaam. So the story picks up in Numbers 22, starting at verse 22. It says, but God was angry that Balaam was going. So he sent the angel of the Lord to stand in the road to block his way. As Balaam and two servants were riding along, Balaam's donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. The donkey sees it, but not Balaam. It says, the donkey bolted off the road into a field, but Balaam beat it, beat the donkey, and turned it back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood at a place where the road narrowed between two vineyard walls. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it tried to squeeze by and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. How many of you have figured out when we do something that God doesn't want us to do, we always get hurt? Right? It's crushed Balaam's foot against the wall, so Balaam beat the donkey again. 
Then the angel of the Lord moved further down the road and stood in a place too narrow for the donkey to get by at all. This time when the donkey saw the angel, it laid down under Balaam. In a fit of rage, Balaam beat the animal again with his staff. This donkey is getting the daylights beaten out of it for no good reason, right? And so here's the part I love. Then the Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak. What have I done to you that deserves you beating me three times? It asked Balaam. Well, you've made me look like a fool, Balaam shouted. Is this getting funny to anybody here? Balaam says, if I had a sword with me, I would kill you. This is so stupid. But it's the part that amuses me. It gets so interesting because Balaam is just upset over the fact that the donkey won't stay on the road, doesn't seem to be phased by the fact that the, he's entered into a conversation with the donkey. And secondly, who would be dumb enough to kill a talking donkey? Buddy, this is your ticket to ride, man. You can hit the circuit with this animal. So first, the donkey goes on to say, says, but I am the same donkey you've ridden all your life. Have I ever done anything like this before? No, Balaam admitted. I guess you have. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the roadway with the drawn sword in his hand. And Balaam bowed his head and fell face down on the ground. That's an interesting story, don't you think? Balaam didn't see what the problem was blocking his path until God opened his eyes. People say the Bible is boring. We got a guy with a talking donkey. That's pretty exciting. And to top it all off, the donkey was the one who was actually right. Now, it's a strange story, but there is a point that it's trying to make. You know, maybe you have some plans in your life that haven't been working out quite the way you thought they were going to. You go one way, you get blocked. You go the other way, you seem to get blocked. And you're just getting angry and upset with anybody and everybody. You're angry with your coworkers, or you're upset with your spouse or the kids. I mean, you're starting to kick the dog. That's how bad things are getting. But the real problem is that you don't see the problem. And it's very possible that God is, is blocking this issue in your life. He may very well be trying to keep you from doing something that's going to be a serious mistake in your life. God loves us so much. I think he often says, I'm not going to allow you to go down this road, no matter how much you fuss and get angry with me. I love you too much to let you do this. God gives us that warning a lot of times in life, but sometimes we get so stubborn, we just keep plowing through and we break through the wall and then we find out this was a huge mistake. I'm probably the only one who's ever experienced something like that, right? Whenever your progress comes to a stop in life, you've basically got two options. You can get mad and you can beat the donkey, so to speak, or you can stop and you can just ask God, open my eyes. Let me really see what's going on here. And when we choose to let God open our eyes, 
the solution to the problem then becomes clear. The third thing that happens when God opens our eyes, we find the defense for whatever it is that is attacking us. We find a defense. You know, everybody at different point in their life has felt like they're being attacked, right? Attacked uh, physically with sickness maybe, attacked financially, attacked by someone you thought loved you, attacked by your own fears, or maybe just attacked by bullies. Anybody get attacked by bullies in school? I tell you, I did my freshman year of high school because I was big. When I was a freshman, I was as big or bigger than a lot of the seniors and juniors. I was already about my same height when I was a freshman in high school. And you think, well, that's cool. Well, here's the problem. In gym class, the freshmen and sophomores had, had gym, uh, you know, went through gym class at one end, and the seniors and the juniors were separated there at the other end. But when it came time for gym class to end and everybody hit the showers, everybody hit the same showers. And at that point, there were some seniors and some juniors that thought it was important for them to put me in my place. To let me know, hey, you may be as big as us or bigger, but you're still a freshman. And so sometimes they would get their towels, they take it in the shower, get it wet, roll it up and sneak up behind you. And Does anybody here know what that feels like? And I tell you, it, it was upsetting. I, I was upset with the Bible. Matthew 3.38, I was not about to turn the other cheek. I'm going to tell you that. That was not going to happen. If you've experienced it once, you're done, man. I apologize if I created any kind of mental images there. We'll just move on. The point is this, there are times when we all feel like we've been under attack, right? We feel all alone. We don't feel like God is anywhere in sight. And there's another incredible story found in 2 Kings about Elisha and the Arameans. In the Old Testament, there's this country called Aram that was always attacking, always going to war with Israel. But every time they would attack, God would tell Elisha, you know, all of their battle plans. Elisha would go and he'd tell the king. And uh, the result would be that the Arameans were constantly, you know, getting their tails kicked because the armies of Israel are, was always a step ahead of them. And you can imagine how this infuriated the king of, Aaron, uh, of Aram. And he thought there's got to be a traitor in the camp somewhere that's, you know, leaking this information to the armies of Israel. So in, you pick up the, the story in uh, verse 10 of 2 Kings 6. It says, The king of Aram became very upset over this. He called his officers together and demanded, Which of you is the traitor? Who's been informing the king of Israel of my plans? It's not us, my lord the king, one of the officers replied. It's that Elisha, the prophet in Israel. He tells the king of Israel, Even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. Go and find out where he is, the king commanded, so I can send troops to seize him. And the report came back, Elisha is at Dothan. So one night the king of Aram sent a great army with his many chariots and, and horses to surround the city. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. 
Now this kid had to be thinking, are you nuts? There's hundreds out there and there's two of us. Then Elisha prayed, oh Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And the Lord opened the young man's eyes and when he looked up, he saw the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. You know, once God opened the servant's eyes, he was no longer afraid. Because have you noticed, fear goes away when you know God is near. Now here's the part where I think, again, this is funny to me. I could have hung out with Elisha. I like the way he operated. It says, as the Aramean army advanced toward him, Elisha prayed, O Lord, make them blind. So the Lord struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. Then Elisha went out and told him, well, you guys have come the wrong way. This isn't the right city at all. Follow me. I'll take you to the man you're looking for. And he led them to the city of Samaria, right to the king of Israel and the Israeli army. As soon as they had entered Samaria, Elisha prayed, O Lord, open their eyes and let them see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they discovered they were right in the middle of Samaria, surrounded by the army of Israel. When the king of Israel saw them, he shouted to Elisha, My father, should I kill them? Should I kill them? Of course not, Elisha replied. Do we kill prisoners of war? Give them a feast and drink and then send them home to their master." So the king made a great feast for them, and he sent them home to their master. After that, listen to this, the Aramean raiders stayed away from the land of Israel. Now, there's, there's a couple of underlying lessons in that story. One of them, I'm just going to mention it for free, the easiest way to get rid of an enemy is to turn him into a friend. That's a whole other sermon, but... The main point I want to make is this. We all get attacked at times, and our natural response is normally to kind of either panic or we get angry or we turn inward and we're feeling all sorry for ourselves. What we actually need to do is turn to God and just ask him to open and our eyes and allow us to see how, to, how we can defend ourselves against this. You know, I don't know what any of you have gone through in the recent past, you know, you might have lost a job, lost a loved one, maybe a, a relationship that just sort of fell apart. You feel like you're fighting uh, maybe an issue with your health, but you've got something going on in your life. You feel like you're just fighting the thing by yourself. You need to know that God is with you every step of the way, but you're only going to see him if you'll open your spiritual eyes. You've not been alone. You know, God has been with you. Every step, you just need some illumination in your life, right? So the big question becomes, okay, I get the illumination part. So how do I get this illumination in my life? I'm glad you asked because I'm going to close by giving you five simple things that you need to do so God can open your eyes, can give you this illumination. First of all, it has to begin with a relationship with Jesus. That's kind of a no-brainer, right? That's the starting point. Without a relationship with Jesus, you're going to be spiritually blind and you're going to remain that way. It's not enough just to know about Jesus. You have to know Jesus, right? You have to be born again, saved from your sins. And until you have that right relationship with Jesus, you're going to be spiritually blind. 
And you're only going to see things from a human perspective, which is always going to get us in trouble. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. That's why it is senseless for anyone to expect an unbeliever to act like a believer because it's never going to make sense to them. Only the Holy Spirit is going to allow his word to really make sense to us. To the unbeliever, it always sounds like foolishness, right? That's what his word says. Shouldn't catch you by surprise. 2 Corinthians 4.4, the devil who rules this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. None of us are going to get it until we have a relationship with Jesus. And Jesus himself said in John 3, 3, he said, Verily, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Unless they're born again. The second thing we need to do to gain this illumination in our life is we have to ask God in faith to open our eyes. We have to ask him to do that. It doesn't come automatically. Psalms 119, 18 says, Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your laws. I'll tell you what, if we don't ask God to open our eyes to see all the wonderful things in his law, we as humans, when we read his laws, we, we tend to think, I'm not going to have any fun in life. I got all these rules and laws I got to follow. So it's pretty important. It's the first thing we should Pray every day when we uh, get up, when you open your Bible to read. Pray for God to open your eyes. You need the batteries to be included, right? The Bible is completely full of these wonderful truths and information, but when we don't see them, it's not the Bible's fault. It's not God's fault. It's our fault because we are remaining blind to the spiritual things of God. We have to ask him to continually keep our eyes open to see his word and his truth. Thirdly, we have to come before him. We've got to come with a humble attitude. You know, if our attitude is, look, I've got this all figured out. I don't need anybody else's help. I've, I'm, I'm good with the, you know, I've got my marriage issue. I can handle that. The financial thing, the job issue, whatever it is, I can take care of it myself. If, you, if that's your attitude, the Bible is not going to help you at all because you've already closed your eyes yourself. We need to be humble. Let God know, man, I'm having trouble. I need your help. I need you to help me see some answers here. Fourth, cleanse your heart of sin and, and, of sin and conflict. Now that kind of ties in with beginning a relationship with God. But God can't open our eyes when our heart is kind of filled with junk. That's why Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Pure doesn't mean we're perfect, right? Any perfect people here? Don't raise your hand. You know, if God only brought illumination and light to those who were perfect, then we'd all still be in the dark, right? None of us are perfect. Pure doesn't mean perfect. It simply means that we are continually Seeking God, you know, we seek his, uh, his will, we seek his forgiveness. 
we, we consistently seek to rid ourselves of all the impurities and the junk in our life. We're working on it. But, you know, if we're busy filling our minds, we may say, oh, I go to church every week. I asked Jesus into my heart. Yeah, I did that years ago. But if we're continually filling our mind with just junk, you know, junky movies, junky TV, porn, lust, bitterness, anger, jealousy, resent, all of these things, God cannot open our eyes. And we need to get rid of the conflict in our life. John wrote, but anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness. If we, if we're, if we've got someone we just can't stand, we've got hatred in our heart towards them, God can't bring his illumination into our life because we've put ourselves in the darkness. It says we're in the darkness and Walker walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Conflict robs us of light and it keeps us in the darkness. So in other words, if I'm not in right relationship with people that I know, people around me, if I don't, I'm not going to get anything out of the Bible because I've placed myself in darkness. So if we, if we just got done yelling at our spouse or yelling at the kids and then we sit down with the Bible and we say, okay, God, show me something now. Say, don't hold your breath waiting for God to speak some incredible truth into your life when you're not trying to resolve the conflict in your life. Get yourself right with people. Make a phone call, write a letter, send an email, message them on Facebook, maybe give them a tweet, a sweet tweet. Do whatever you got to do, but we have to stop holding grudges, right? We have to ask people for forgiveness so that God can once again open our eyes. So begin with a relationship with Jesus. Ask him to open your eyes. Be humble. Cleanse your heart and your mind. And then finally, the fifth thing we need to do. Commit to doing what God says. You know, sit down with your Bible as you begin to read and say, God, I, I need you to touch me today as I'm reading this. Teach me, to, uh, teach me what I need to, to do this week with my wife, my husband, my, my kids, my boss, my coworkers. I need for you to show me what I need to do. And if you'll show me, I promise I'll do it. I'm telling you in advance that, uh, Lord, that even if I don't fully agree with the instruction you give me, and how many of you ever done that? You've asked God, God, give me some instruction. He gives it to you and you don't like it. We have to promise God that, look, I'm asking you for instruction. I'm asking you for some illumination here. And when you give it to me, whether I'm crazy about it or not, I know it's from you and I will do it. If you'll open my eyes to see it, Lord, I will do it. Amen? Reading God's word, that's good, but that's not the bottom line. The bottom line is always doing it. We read it and we do it. Amen? Stand with me this morning. You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com, connect with us on Facebook, or call us at 210-657-3578.